Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Sunday, which means it's time for the front three Q&A with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Dave O'Brien. Yes, uh, Lawrence, take that. And we've got Chris Hennigy as well, Chris. Yeah, Lawrence, he's 17. He, uh, <laughs> Lawrence is on holiday this weekend. He's in lovely Lisbon, uh, living the dream. We've got Chris stepping in for him this weekend. Uh, a weekend of cup finals, essentially, uh, domestic cup finals uh, around Europe. We've got a start day on Manchester United. Uh, FA Cup, World FA Cup winners uh, yesterday mm. at Wembley, beating Crystal Palace uh, 2-1 in the end. Uh, what did you make of the game? They deserve to win? Yeah, I think so. You know, world champions now. It's a great <laughs> achievement for the yeah. boys. Lou Van Gaal going out on a high. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Manchester this weekend for a friend, Stag Do. Uh, it was quite a heavy weekend, but you know, watching the game at the Bishop's Blaze just around the corner from uh, Old Trafford was, was pretty brilliant. A lot of so- songs, a few pints and um, some general good times, but the game wasn't the greatest game in the world. It yeah. sort of stood out as a Louis van Gaal game of football, really. You know, very patient, build-up, not much change in tempo. Um, and, you know, Crystal Palace did nick that goal and it was a little bit worrying. I thought that was kind of over, but then Wayne Rooney, you know, going a little bit outside the structure of Louis van Gaal's football, um, you know, beating a few players, sliding the ball through, and then United scored from that little instant. Um, and then from then, it did look like United were going to win the game. I think the momentum was with the Manchester Giants, but it's, it's a, a good end to a, a pretty poor spell at Man United manager. He's, as Man United manager, sorry, Lou Van Gaal, apparently, you know, he's supposed to be gone Monday, Mourinho coming on Tuesday, but, you know, fair play to Jess Lingard, a United player that, again, not really fancied by a lot of United fans, me included. Fantastic goal though, wasn't it? Brilliant, Fantastic a brilliant goal. goal. And, you know, he's living his boyhood dream winning the FA Cup, scoring the winner in the FA Cup for Manchester United, so fair play to him. And if he can... Again, if he can just improve, improve his physique and sometimes his decision-making, then he'll be a fantastic player. But I just don't think he's that United quality. We, we will come on to, to Louis van Gaal, of course, uh, the, the news of which overshadowed most of this game, Kristen. But on Palace, we obviously had uh, Alan Pardew giving us a little uh, a little moment to remember, his little dance, which uh, he's already apologised for <laughs> after the match. Uh, but it, did, it felt slightly unlucky. I mean, some of the refereeing decisions sort of went against them. Yeah, those decisions with Mark Clattenburg, I think you have a, a more than justifiable reason to say they were influential decisions. Mm. Um, we saw we saw Fergie giving him a tenner before the game, slipping him a little something. So, you know. <laughs> hey, 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 back off, lads, not, all right? Fair <laughs> and square, two goals to one, the game is over, we won. <laughs> yeah. 
I, th- I think what you can say is, aside from the moments that Palace couldn't control, the things they could control, I don't think they had enough influence in. Mm. So the fact that, again, Smalling goes off um, for that pull on, on Yannick Bellassi, yeah. to me, that's when they should really be dominant. We've, we've seen teams undo Manchester United with 11 players quite easily this season. The fact they couldn't do it with 10, I thought was quite damning. And in some ways, I think it did shine a little bit of a spotlight to, to Pardew's sort of deficiencies in the sense that he's not the most adventurous manager and he's not someone that will will you know bolt forward when he has the opportunity he'd rather have kept it tight at the back and and see if they could get to penalties which to me it's a bit like boxing or or mixed martial arts don't let it go to a decision try and win it in the in the 90 minutes in that sense we have to talk obviously about Lewin Howe Chris a pretty bizarre situation where after Dave says a disappointing season, they do manage to win some silverware, albeit the sort of silverware that maybe doesn't satisfy the club's supporters. But for to have won that trophy and to have Louis now go into the, the press conference carrying in the FA Cup and then at the same time the news flashing up that Jose Mourinho is set to be appointed by Manchester United this week, it all feels very messy and it all feels very much in line almost with the way Manchester United has been run ever since Rax Ferguson uh, step down. I mean, th- there's rumours flying all over Twitter uh, this weekend about an agreement that's been in place since December. Some people saying there is no agreement. The club wanting to avoid a, a situation similar to Manchester City, where you know the Guardiola announcement coming in has been blamed for the the poor form this season. There's reports that Van Hal still has no idea what's going on. He hasn't been informed uh, officially by anyone that he's losing his job. It just seems farcical, really. It does. I think that's a, a fantastic way to put it, Adam. I think, and Dave has spoken about this before, I believe, you look at the, the very elite clubs in, in this sport, they usually have meticulous and brilliant organisation at the very top of the club that then filters down to the, the very kind of foundations of the youth team and all that sort of thing. I don't see that kind of organisation and that kind of leadership, more importantly, at Manchester United at present. I could be wrong. I, there's something I could be missing here glaringly. I just don't see it, though. I, I see a club that, with using the the transition from Van Gaal to Mourinho as a, as a case study, really doesn't seem to know what it's doing next week. And for a club that size, with such ambitions, with such expectation, that's really quite concerning. Because in some ways, the, the transition from Sir Alex Ferguson to the next generation, which was first David Moyes, now Lou Van Gaal, that felt quite rushed as well. That felt quite underprepared. And... You see kind of Sir Alex Ferguson still around the club. I mean, he was at the FA Cup final just on Saturday. I just wonder if he couldn't come in and help just a little bit more than he is. If, if there's maybe an opportunity to bring him on in a different role, just to see what can be learned there. Because that's something I think as well. You look at like Ajax, for example. I think they're a great club in the sense that they bring former players on as coaches. You've got Yap Stams there, Dennis Bergkamp's there, Mark Overmars, the sporting director. And while Overmars has a mixed perception... I think in general, the notion of bringing former players and former staff back in a different capacity, in a different guise, it can actually really help you move forward into the future in the next era. Mm, it, it does feel like they need help in that department, Dave. I mean, we should obviously point out that the leaking of that information shouldn't be all on United. I mean, it seems evident that maybe someone in uh, Jose Mourinho's camp was leaking that information at that time. But the way it's been handled is the problem. And... At the same time, there doesn't seem to be a lot of sympathy for Van Gaal from Man United fans or even the players, reportedly. 
No, I think it's, it's just a, maybe the wrong appointment at the wrong time in the wrong era. If maybe Sir Alex Ferguson had left maybe in 2001, he was heavily linked to, Louis van Gaal could have stepped in then. It would have been, he, he still would have um, had a brand of football that would have worked in that era. I think it's just a, the problem. Van, don't, get, don't get me wrong, Louis van Gaal is a fantastic coach. You know, you can see that evidently with the way that he he can get a certain style of play, the Louis van Gaal certain style of play, but it just doesn't fit Manchester United at the moment. And it's a little bit unfair. I do kind of agree with that. He's been treated poorly, and this Mourinho news was leaked at the wrong time, obviously by Mendes and his cronies. Um, to, I, I, I don't know why. You know, what's the reason? If you're going to go with dignity, they don't even need to do that. It would be a parade, mate. They want to, want yeah, to rain it, on his exactly, parade. Exactly, which is, isn't very it's nice, cool. to say the least. Um, but I do think Man United need to move on. I think the thing with Sir Alex Ferguson still being around the club is a little bit of an issue as well, because he's got apparently too much control in the boardroom. Um, but Mourinho is the right man to move this move this this football club on. It's going to be different. It's going to be abrasive. Man United are going to be hated again, but that's a good thing. That is something you know to put fear back into their opponents and, and to. I, I just prefer it that way. I prefer. It. I've always known a Man United that's hated by every other fan in in world football, and it's a good thing. Um, so to have that back at the club, you know, have someone that's got a bit of bit of fire palette, a bit of belly in press conferences, will be very nice to see. And, and the style of football uh, is going to be fine, I think. He is that sort of manager that you hate when he's managing someone else, and you, I think it's it's pretty easy to criticise most of Jose Mourinho's behaviour. But of course, when it's on your team, you, you absolutely love having someone like that uh, managing the club. Is it the right appointment for you, though, Chris? Because it does feel—I don't want to say it feels like a desperate move, but it does feel that kind of move where it's not long term. They they need someone to come in. Maybe Van Hal steadied the ship, but they need someone to get them back in the Champions League uh, consistently and get them challenging for the title, which is something you'd expect Mourinho to do, even if he's only hanging around for, for two or three years. I think you, you answered it to a degree there in the question, maybe unintentionally, is it depends what you're trying to achieve with the appointment of Jose Mourinho. If you're trying to elevate the club back to a position of, of superiority and, and the top of the league, then I think, yes, it's a, it's a solid appointment. You can't complain with that. He does get results for the most part, Jose Mourinho. If you're trying to establish even a, a remotely long-term situation similar to that of Sir Alex Ferguson, then this is the worst possible appointment you could make. Because the one thing you can say about Jose Mourinho is that he is not a long-term manager. He is someone that operates not just time-wise, his decisions are short-term. It's about signing the player for now, not for tomorrow. And I think that bears out by the fact that he hasn't, throughout his career, really brought through young players. At Inter, you know, he had David Santon, of course, briefly. But then, for the most part, it's players that, that can give him what he needs right now in that moment. And my concern, if I was a Manchester United fan, would be, and, and I guess in some ways, I guess this is a question for Dave as much as a statement, is that, Again, Mourinho will raise you to that point, but are you not concerned that once he's gone, you're almost back at square one in the same way that Chelsea are now, having to bring Conte in to fix everything that Mourinho left that was broken? Well, I think it's, it's more of um, Man United need time because it looks like the club is, you know, how, how long has it taken to get the header of the academy and sort all the stuff out on Nicky Butt? Manchester United need time at the moment because they are. They are a little bit behind the, the modern clubs. You mentioned you know, teams like uh, Bayern Munich or you'd say Barcelona that have a, a certain structure and they have all the, the coaches there, all the scouts are in, and they're all 
it's going in the right way, like Manchester City. They have the scouting department, they have the data department, they have a really good social media team. Manchester United at the moment, it feels like they're behind. So to have someone like for Mourinho to come in for three years gives Manchester United an extra three years to sort out a lot of the shit that's wrong with the club right now. A lot of problems in there inherently because of Sir Alex Ferguson was such a commander, he did everything. You know the transfers, the co- you know the coaching, uh, tactical reports, or eight. You know he did a lot of the stuff. So Manchester United, as a as an organisation, need to improve themselves, and that that that's what kind of Mourinho can do. He can take the pressure off. It will be short term. Is what, what I don't know if it will be will be short term. What I mean that we all know that Mourinho is a short term manager. That's where he's been so far. But he's coming. You know what? Fifty three years old now. He's got a lot more experience. Could be. Could this be the perfect club for him? You know, a club that likes to be hated, a club that is very insular, very defensive of his manager, of his player, you know, of the, the heroes they have there. What Man United need is a bit of aggression back in the team. There's too many soft players in that team. They're not going to win the Premier League if they keep having players, I don't know, like Chris Morley, like Daly Blind, the centre-half. We need someone that's out there, that's explosive, that can get people fired up. And I think that's what Mourinho will bring players of that ilk. So for the next generation, post-Mourinho, that could be a good thing to have those sort of pillars of Manchester United, real winners. That's a big, big thing. But it's good that these players have already won the FA Cup now because it can, you know, that'll grow. That The winning mentality is something that you, you get from lifting a trophy or losing a cup final. So either whichever way it went yesterday, it's a good for Manchester United as a club going forward. But I do think they need that time to sort sort some stuff out. What do you think? Dave, surely the issue isn't that Mourinho's clubs have fallen out with him. It's his players have fallen out with him. If it's not Casillas at Madrid, it's the guys at Chelsea... The, the problem I have with Mourinho is that eventually, usually around that third year, the guys who bought into the it's us against them, their dickheads were brilliant, they stop believing that around year three. So surely the issue but, but isn't... That's, that's, with, that's with two clubs there. That's with Chelsea, that's with Real Madrid. But what about the players at Inter Milan? Well. What are play, the players at Porto? He, they... he left Inter at the perfect point. That was the one bit of sort of self-awareness he had where he left it at a point where they weren't going to get any better than what they'd done. They've won the league, they've won the Champions League. It had peaked at that point. And you look at the clubs after, I think certainly, you know, you talk about do you look at, you know, a, a situation or do you look at the career? For me, you look at the career in the sense that those two clubs you touched on, Porto and Inter, he left them at the perfect moment because he'd achieved all he could at those clubs. At Chelsea, at Real Madrid, he hadn't. So he had to stick around. And that, to me, seems like the better barometer of if he can't do everything he's supposed to, which, again, I don't know if Man United have that same ceiling. Because for me, Man United have always struck me as the kind of club that can never win enough Champions Leagues, can never win enough Premier League titles. Well, I think the thing with that as well is that Mourinho potentially, what he needs is the control. And hopefully Manchester United will give him that control. You know, the, the big things with Ch- the last Chelsea um, stint was that there were players that were bought that he didn't want. You know, that's such a breakdown of communication from board level to manager. If that happens at Manchester United, yes, then Mourinho will be there for three years and he'll go. But if he's given the control, like he's always wanted the control, like the Alex Ferguson style control where he gets to make every single decision in the club, then he could go a lot further. And I think that's the big thing. You've got to give Mourinho um, the power and you've, you've got to feed his ego and you've got to let his ego feed itself. But then again, it is... I don't know which way. This could go... Obviously, it could go either of two ways. They could... Mourinho could be Manchester United manager for the next 10 years or it could just be the two-year spell where first season he'll do well, second season he'll win the Premier League. There isn't a but very... Then... Go on, sorry, Dave, go on, Karen. No, no, that, that's it. That's a wrap, Adam. There is, a wrap. there is a very interesting uh, paragraph and a great article today by uh, Daniel Taylor for The Guardian uh, in which he says that a lot of players actually wanted Ryan Geeks to take over 
uh, on the basis that he has a better understanding of the club um, as well as being less likely to fall out with everyone in a couple of years is the way it's put in the in the report. I mean, what do you make of that, Dave? Because that almost points to the fact that maybe it will be a short-term appointment because these players already are aware that it, it may not be uh, lasting particularly long. These players at Manchester United need to look at themselves because the level of performance has been around this season has not been consistent. So if they are finger-pointing, they are saying, oh, we want to have Ryan Giggs in, or Louis van Gaal's got to go, they've got to look at themselves. They've got to look in the mirror first. Because some of the performances this season have been absolutely atrocious in, in games where they're playing weaker opposition and they've not beaten them. They're not winners, these lads, and that is, that is inherently the issue with the squad. That's something Mourinho will bring in, but... Mm. I just feel that the player power at Manchester United seems to be a bit too powerful at the moment. I think someone like Mourinho will put them back in their place. What's your gut, Chris? Do you think this is going to end well or do you think it's going to end in tragedy? Well, I said today, not I tragedy, did... but disaster, I should say. <laughs> Very Shakespearean of you, I think. Um, I, I think, I said this is on series, I, I think it won't end well. I, I think it can't end anything but poorly because of who he is and what he represents. He he gets the job done, but the the problem is is that when he leaves, he doesn't just take himself. He takes the entire roots of everything, and you're left with a lot of problems that you didn't realise were present until he disappears. I think what's interesting is the the parallel you two brought up there between what he was like at Porto and Inter, um, maybe his first stint at Chelsea, but ever since Real Madrid, he seems different to me it seems like that situation changed him and whereas before you have players like you mentioned Dave players who literally said they would run for a brick wall for Jose Mourinho I don't know whether his techniques and the way he conducts himself is having the same impact yes he won a a a title in his first season back at Chelsea well his second season but it all unraveled so quickly that it feels like people are realizing the the fallacy behind it if you know what I mean Chris 100%. 100%. I, th- I think this is the thing with, with Mourinho, and I'm someone actually that, that, that quite admires him. Um, I think he, he is a nice guy. And what I would say is the words and the actions just haven't matched with Jose Mourinho for a good while now in terms of he's talked about having that legacy, about wanting to build something bigger than himself. But his actions haven't dictated that. Nothing about what he did at Chelsea was long-term or was for the future. And... Look, we're talking about that club next season and Conte looking to bring in the youngsters, seeing if they can negotiate Andreas Christensen's return from Gladbach. Those were things, arguably, that Mourinho could have done. He could have given youth more of an opportunity, but he chose not to. And I appreciate that he could have a drastic change of approach and change of heart at Manchester United. That is a possibility. What I'm basing my opinion on and my evaluation on is how he's acted so far. And if things stay the same relative to that, I don't see a different outcome. What do you think it means for Giggs, Dave? Or, or what do you want it to mean for Giggs? Because as I said, uh, reportedly a lot of the players wanted to see him take over. And it's now going to be interesting to see whether he does stay on or leave. Now he's, he's essentially been overlooked uh, once again for the, for the manager role. Well, I think he needs to be a manager first before he can be a manager of Manchester United. It's, you know, any example of managers that have come through their club, Guardiola, Zidane, um, Luis Enrique have always managed a, a, a team, you know, the second team, or um, you know, something equivalent. Obviously, Luis Enrique was at Celta Vigo before he was at Barcelona. Did very well with that Celta Vigo side. That's what Giggs needs to do. How many times we've got to say it on the podcast? You know, he, he can't just fall into this Manchester United job because he doesn't have the experience as, of a manager. Yeah, he's an, he, he's been an assistant manager under some pretty decent managers so far, but is he cut his teeth yet? No. 
And again, if he stays under Mourinho, there'll be another learning curve, you know, be another style of manager. But he just does need to go and do it. He needs to he needs to step out of his comfort zone. Let's talk a little bit about the other cup finals then. We had Barcelona this evening winning 2-0 against Sevilla to win the King's Cup. Uh, Messi with two assists, Jordi Alba and Neymar grabbing the goals there. Another piece of silverware for Barcelona, Chris. You know, they're going to miss out on the Champions League, of course. That's that's a disappointment for them. But for the most part, I think it's it's been good. I, I think there's a lot to, to celebrate, at least. Um, the, the thing I'm curious about with them moving forward is just the financial situation because it doesn't seem that talked about them being able to, to pay for these big stars for the future and I'd be curious to see what they do in the summer. Obviously, there's talk they've already signed Denis Suarez or agreed to to buy him back. Mm. Um, that's an interesting move. I'll be curious to see where where the rest of the moves take them as well. Seemed like the Sevilla players were a little bit tired, Dave, after their uh, Europa League final exertions earlier in the week, running that steam in extra time. Be interesting to see now where the manager Unai Emery goes. The reports today are that Everton want to enter talks with him over taking over the vacant. Uh, manager's position. I mean, first off, would that be a good fit for Everton? Uh, for Everton? Yeah, hundred percent. A very, you know, if you've seen any of Sevilla this last week or this se- this season, they're very got quite an English style. Again, they they missed Stephen and Zonzi tonight. I thought that potentially Emery could have done a little bit more when they were um, when they had the extra man advantage, especially in the second half. He had um, Fernando Llorente, a big target man on the bench, could have brought him on and just thrown some crosses in the box. But then, obviously, when the game was uh, when Sevilla lost their man and it was 10 v 10, I think that Barcelona took a bit of control back. But it's a very good season for Sevilla again, winning the Europa League. But I think, yeah, like you said, I think they were just a little bit tired, obviously being in Basel midweek and then coming. It's just it's a bit weird with the you know the Spanish league having the, the the you know the Europa League final and then the Kings Cup final the week after. It's a little bit unfair on Sevilla, not as much rest as Barcelona. But I think they've done they've done well. You know, getting to a cup final is a, is a great achievement. So. Yeah, be, for Everton, it'd be a, a great fit. But I'd still do think that um, Lucien Favre would be perfect for Everton. Ooh. Germany as well. Um, Bayern Munich winning the cup there over Borussia Dortmund. Uh, went to penalties in the end. Uh, good sign-off for Pep Guardiola. Chris, a uh, bit of a positive note after their disappointment in the Champions League earlier in the season. Yeah, I, I think, again, the, the thing with uh, Guardiola is... His perception with Bayern is, is so contrasted in the sense that it seems like for everyone you can find, he'll say he's a failure because he didn't win the Champions League or he failed. I think it's important to remember there's a difference between a, a failure and someone who failed. Um, you can find someone who actually thinks he, he did a really good job and he's he's instigated something brilliant there. Again, we're already, no sooner has that cup final finished, we're hearing about the talk of him signing Gundogan for, for Manchester City. And just, again, he's another one that for me, there's a lot of intrigue around him and also Bayern Munich because I think they're going for quite a different approach with, with Carlo Ancelotti. Um, mm. I think they're getting someone that, in theory, will achieve or will be tasked with achieving the one thing that Guardiola couldn't do. It's interesting that, of course, they beat Dortmund in the final, uh, something they've done regularly over the, the past couple of years. It does seem since Guardiola went to Bayern Munich, the club has gone to that next level. I mean, we spoke to, to Kit Holden, uh, who writes the Daily Mail a few weeks ago about this. They've become one of the elite clubs uh, in Europe, gone to that next level. And as such, I mean, it's now four Bundesliga titles in a row. Uh, Pep's won seven trophies there in his three years. You talk about Gundogan leaving there. We're already seeing Mats Hummels is on his way to Bayern Munich. Do you think this is going to be a problem for the Bundesliga now that 
you know, that lack of competition. It's really interesting if you read um, anything back in German football within the last 10, 10, 15, 20 years, Bayern Munich always do this. They always eat up their closest rival and they've done it again. They've done it with Borussia Dortmund. You know, in the early 2000s, so 2001, 2002, it was uh, by Leverkusen, Michael Ballack, Roberto, Lucio Orm making that move from um, you know, Bayer Leverkusen, a bit very, very big German club at that time, to Bayern Munich. And it's just what they do, they're very insular. But again, going back to the club structure, it's a clever way to go. And I think these, some of the signings that they've made already um, is going to show that they're going to be so competitive on all fronts. It's going to be great to see Carlo Ancelotti with such a big squad of quality whether he can compete on two fronts that's been my only criticism of uh, Ancelotti in the mm. past is that he either will win the league or he'll win the Champions League which isn't a bad thing but he, he's, it's difficult for him to win both um, obviously a little bit different in France because PSG have so much power uh, but I think he will probably win the Champions League next season at Bayern I think that's, wow. I think that's kind of like on how how can Dortmund hope to compete though, Christian? Because I mean, as Dave says, this is not new for Bayern Munich, but to me it feels new in the sense that yes, they're, they're hoovering up the best talent from their rivals, but those rivals are moving to other leagues as well. Those players, I should say, are moving to other leagues around Europe. And Bayern, in the last three or four years, is able to attract the best talent from around the world, not just within Germany, but they're becoming one of those huge clubs. How can, how can Dortmund really compete? It's funny you, you ask that because the, the chap who uh, is chairman for, for Midgetland and Brentford, I think his name is Erasmus Ankerson, he wrote a book called The, the Goldmine Effect. And I would advise anyone who is into that kind of thing um, with football to read it because it is a very good read. Um, and he has this belief that actually sort of parsimony or you know, struggles like that, that is when you often breed innovation. Um, and I'm inclined to, to agree with him. I think for, for what in terms Dortmund have to do, they just really have to keep doing what they're doing at the minute, which is keep trying to buy that talent a little bit under the threshold and make it to the level where Dort, where it's it's someone that could be considered for Bayern, if you like. So Aubameyang, for example, if, if Bayern Munich signed Aubameyang tomorrow, you wouldn't say that was a crazy signing. You'd say, wow, that's a brilliant signing. Those are the kind of players they have to keep going after. I don't think they'll ever be able to to redress the financial uh, disparity between the two clubs. It's it's just not possible. So I think again, you you really have to to keep doing what you're doing. See if you can improve the uh, production line of your academy in that sense, and just find different ways to win. There's there is this is what's beautiful about football, and I sometimes think we forget this. There are so many different ways to win. For every team that will go out and, and buy players, as we'll come to see um, when we talk about MLS and everything, there is those who, like FC Dallas, to use an analogy, will go out and breed their own and will produce them through their academy. And I think as long as we can keep that in mind, it, it shouldn't upset us too much, the whole situation with the Bundesliga. Interestingly, they've also bought they bought Usman Dembele, obviously, which is obviously uh, mm. in line with what you're saying there. Um, it's just gonna, it is going to be very interesting to see how they uh, how they match up next season. Bayern Munich seems to be building this squad where they do literally have two world class players in every single position, and when two of Dortmund's best players are leaving this summer, it is going to be interesting to see how they compete uh, with Munich. Um, over in Italy, Juventus became the first Italian club to win consecutive uh, doubles, domestic doubles. Um, Alvar Morata scoring an extra time to give them a 1-0 win over AC Milan. Uh, and elsewhere, Chris, in MLS, there was a New York derby. Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Seven goals. Um, Seven goals. All on one side, which is yes. the, the surprising element. I think. As someone that gets paid to, to use words to describe things, even I'm struggling a little bit with this one. <laughs> Essentially what it comes down to is you have a team in the Red Bulls who don't have stars, in inverted commas. They don't have huge names that you, you will know around the world and cost millions of dollars. New York City FC do. And the trade-off on that is the Red Bulls play with a team dynamic and a team ethic that is so focused on everybody else and, and operating as a fluid unit that New York City FC just couldn't deal with it. There was too much pace, far too much energy. They, they gave New York City FC the ball for the most part, which if you've seen them this season, that's kind of par for the course. NYC FC do tend to dominate possession. But Red Bulls dominated the game, hands down. They were too quick, they were too sharp. And it just meant that guys like Pirlo was was totally off the pace of the game and, and really struggled to get any kind of notable um, foothold in things. And then you add to the fact that I think the scoreline really was inflated by the fact that NYCFC were atrocious when it came to defending set pieces. Um, the first goal comes that way. Dax McCarty then gets an, another header from a, a corner. There's, a, I think, another two headers in there, if, if memory serves. Right, Phillips scores a bicycle kick from inside the box. NYCFC just couldn't defend their own penalty area. And now they have the the record, if you want to look at it, or the, the honour of being tied for the biggest losing margin in MLS with uh, the Dallas Burn and Sporting Kansas City Wizards, who neither team actually exists anymore. They've both been since been rebranded. I mean, for those who don't know a lot about MLS, such as myself, why are NYCFC so bad? <laughs> so we've obviously, we know they've got David Villa there, we know they've got Perlo, as you mentioned, and uh, of course Frank Lampard, who was booed when he uh, came on as a sub later on in the game. Uh, it goes without saying players who are past their best is that part of the problem that that recruitment policy doesn't help them in any way essentially yeah well the the thing with NYCFC is you can sort of tell what they were trying to do they wanted to get seats on bombs before they'd even started and I I think personally the second you focus more on who's on the poster than who's on the pitch you're going to open yourself up to some trouble and the midfield in particular is so one-dimensional with all those DPs playing. It's so one-paced. It was never going to work. And then you have the fact that, again, Lampard has not been committed to this franchise, was, was booed, in fact, when he came on for his first appearance of the season um, in the 75th minute, booed by his own supporters. And, and kind of understandably so, to, to be really quite brutally honest with you. He hasn't been committed to the franchise in the same way that, again, I, I don't think Pirlo is, is really that invested in things. He said that, if he doesn't make Italy's Euro squad, it's because he moved to MLS. No, it's because you haven't been playing very well, to be brutally honest again. And this is the problem with, with NYCFC, and it's part of the wonderful contrast of the two New York clubs, is that the Red Bulls used to be a little bit like that. They used to buy names. Mm. Uh, Rafa Marquez was a good example, the old Barca defender. Since I would say probably Henri left, um, although in fairness that might sound harsh on Henri because he was very committed and was a brilliant player for them. Since then they've ditched that model of having star names like that and they've put everything into the team and buying guys who build into that and actually defining how they play soccer more importantly. And it shows on the pitch with the fact that they've won the Supporters' Shield and even though they've had difficulties this season, they're still a very good team. And I think this is what New York have tried to, New York City FC, excuse me, have tried to bring in with Vieira. They've tried to get a coach who can in theory 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Give them a style and give them a, an ethos on the pitch. And it's going to have a lot of growing pains. And I think one of the, the biggest growing pains right now is the fact that they've just been absolutely humiliated by their, their nearest and fiercest rivals. They are a lot younger than their, their, their rivals, as, as, you, as you say there. So hopefully they'll learn the lessons that the Red Bulls have learned themselves. Um, obviously the news that Frank Lampard earns $6 million a year, which is one third of the entire squad's earnings, probably didn't help the fact that uh, that didn't really endear him to the fans, I'm sure. Um, but what do you make of the, the scenes afterwards? There was these reports of sort of hooliganism almost on the streets of New York with the fans sort of going out with each other, uh, police intervening. It's it's a couple of idiots who watch Green Street too many times. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's 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 people who think that's what football is. It's it's our argy bargy and shouting swears and throwing punches. It's just idiots. That's so the thing. superficial I, as opposed to anything. Massively, meaning. massively. I I think personally, if you want a better representation of fan culture in the states, look at the tifos they put on. To me, that's one thing that the fans have, have sort of picked up from Europe that I think is a great thing. Um, I mean, New York City FC had one that related to the fact that um, New York Red Bulls are sponsored by that energy drink and it had side effects and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of those are good. There was one last year um, describing NYCFC as a retirement home and kind of two cartoon pictures of Lampard and Pirlo with walking sticks. To me, that's the, the right side of fan culture. This, it's just idiots. That's the, that's the best. I'm not even going to try and dress it up as anything poetic. It's total idiocy. It seems to be a... <laughs> It seems to be the search for authenticity, really. Like I say, that it's quite a, it is a young, compared to everything else, there is a young uh, footballing league and a young footballing culture, and it does seem to be a need by some fans to, to try and be authentic. So maybe that's where it comes from. But yeah, like you say, they should, they should concentrate on taking elements and making their own, like the TIFOs, as you say there, and um, other aspects. It'd be interesting to see how it uh, develops, but hopefully there'll be less uh, Green Street-esque uh, scenes on the streets of uh, New York anytime soon. Uh, let's move into the questions then. You've been sending us questions on Twitter, sliding into the DMs as well. Uh, first up, we've got Eddie MUFC, who said, Thoughts on the new Villa owner and his plans to become a top six club in the coming years? I mean, what do you make of that one, Chris? I've got real concerns about this Villa owner already. Um... And I say that because there's been a few things that have come out about him that he's claimed that aren't true. I think, I think, <laughs> I think one of them was he claimed to have been um, the youngest ever professor in Harvard history when he was actually just an assistant professor. Um, I believe he, he 
told a lie about his um, education from Harvard as well, that he had a PhD when actually he only had a master's. Um, it's things like that, that he owns five different businesses and actually he only owns one. It's, it's just things that you will look at and say, in hindsight, we will say, how did we not pick up on this? Or how did we not give this greater attention? And I really worry for Villa because even though they and Newcastle don't have sort of the greatest of relationships, I do think it is quite a, a proud football club. And while, you know, you can laugh at other teams and all that kind of thing, I don't like the thought of any football club being chronically mismanaged um, because it's just not a fun situation. And that would be my concern is that there's just an element of sort of, you remember Carson Young, the, uh, the chap who was at Birmingham? Mm. It's just kind of evoking a few memories of that. I could be chronically wrong. I'm sure there's a Villa fan calling me an idiot right now, but <laughs> that's just the, the vibe that I'm sort of feeling. No, it does feel like there are, there are some warning signs there, I'd say. That, um, maybe, uh, maybe it's not for the best, but we, we, we'll see. Um, Nico said, is there enough available success available <laughs> for one of the top managers to not get sacked. Now, I'm not quite sure what he means by that. He <laughs> means are there enough trophies for all the top managers to stay and work? Because if if you're a top manager and you don't win anything, how can you theoretically stay and work? It's an interesting question. Uh, Assuming they're all placed around the league equally. Um, is there enough success? I, I, so I guess it... In many ways, it, it depends on the metric the clubs in question apply. And what I mean by that is, if, if you're a club that deems a semi-final of the Champions League success, then in theory, yes, there are. Um, so say Ancelotti, Guardiola, example. If they both make it to the final, that can be considered success. But then what does that mean for Mourinho? What does that mean for Klopp? That's, that's the difficulty, is that I think over a sustained period there is likely not enough success for all of them to maintain work at the same club, but there is enough. there are enough clubs going around for them to always be in work. Well, Chris, Mourinho's going to win the Europa League and the Premier League double anyway, mate, so it doesn't matter about the Champions League. <laughs> here's, a, here's a good one from Harry, at HJD Cornish on Twitter. Best realistic fullback signings that Klopp could make? What do you reckon, Dave, a left-back to replace Moreno? They've been quite heavily linked with uh, Jonas Hector, the uh, Cologne fullback, who uh, looks a pretty decent player, um, got decent chance creating stats. You know, anything's a, an upgrade on Moreno. Just trying to think it, inside the Premier League whether there'd be any youngish uh, left back who, who could fill that berth, or he probably will go to the Bundesliga, I reckon. But no, that could be Jonas Hector, could be a good option for them. And realistic as well, obviously, the German link with Jurgen Klopp. I like it. Um, Rafael Guerrero is another one I would suggest. Oh yeah, the um, lad for oh, I've just forgotten. L- Lorien, is that right? I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean he's a yeah. bit more of a an attacking-minded form, which is possibly not what they want um, after Moreno. There's that chap at Nancy as well. I think he's on loan from Porto. I can't remember his name. It's escaping me. Um, I'm sure the the chap in question asked the question will know. Um, who I'm talking about, but he's another one I'm thinking of. Uh, here's a good question from at Arteta Assist. Who do you think will be uh, Mourinho's first signing at Manchester United? Dave, there's an interesting report in The Guardian again today <laughs> saying that 
Jose Mourinho has identified Andre Gomez, Hal Mario, John Stones, Alvaro, Alvaro Morata, Mauro Icardi and Ezequiel Garay as summer targets for Manchester United as part of an anticipated minimum £150 million spend. Do those names yeah, some big signings. They do, yeah. But the bit, the one that's coming, though, as yeah. assistant manager is going to be the Zlatman, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Ooh, that would be a great deal. Yeah, I think that is going to happen. He wants to, you know, he has said that he, you know, him and Mourinho get on very well. I think he's had his second best goal scoring season was under Mourinho at Inter Milan. So yeah, that'd be a great, great signing. But then you know some of the names you put in there are very good. Andre Gomez would be a really good central midfielder. I would like, I'd still like United to go for after William Carvalho. I still think he's a very talented player. I had a bit pretty rough start to the season. Broke his leg. He came back and he started to play some good football again. I think he's just got that the range of passing that United could use deep in midfield. Matt Brownie Cake, nice Twitter, Matt <clears throat> Charmer on Twitter. What do you think will be the biggest factor next season for a team to win the Premier League? What do you reckon, Chris? Obviously, a lot of top class managers coming in. Uh, we're going to have Mourinho, we're going to have Guardiola up against Big Sam. Uh, what do you think is going to be the main factor uh, for, for the team that's going to win? <laughs> I th- I think I think we may see a sort of regression or a resurgence in the sense that teams will become more defensively sound or strive to be more defensively sound. And that for me will be the interesting thing is the team excuse me that I think will do the best next season will be the one that has the most versatility in terms of breaking an opponent down. And what do you make of all these managers coming into the Premier League? What do you what do you expect that to to bring with it because like I say Mourinho Guardiola is going to be very interesting but also Conte uh, Pochettino Klopp it's got some of the best managers in the world now in England he is the league of managers essentially it's just going to bring a lot more ideas I think to the table which can only be a good thing I mean you look at the Belgian national team and we question how they're able to produce such a, an impressive array of players it's because they all go to different countries and learn different ideas and I think one of the things we can say about the, the globalisation of the Premier League and the introduction of so many different nationalities on the playing side, as we go back to sort of the mid-90s with the Rude Hullet Viali era, is that with the more managers that come and work in, in this league, the more ideas and the more styles we get to sample. And for me, I think it can only really be a good thing. In an ideal world, of course, you want to see more English managers succeed. And I find it interesting that Alan Pardew and, and Sam Allardyce have been quite candid about that subject in particular lately. I also am quite fond of the fact that we will have someone like Conte alongside someone like Guardiola, um, alongside someone like Klopp. Next question is from Henrik. Very similar to the previous question. Dave, thoughts on Morata heading to United? Yeah, it could be a good move. Um, I think... One of the lads at Squawker, James McManus, actually tweeted something out today saying he's only, I think he scored seven goals, six goals and seven goals in the last uh, three seasons, which isn't the greatest of stats for a striker. But I think that's just because of his playing time. Um, he just hasn't, you know, he's not, he hasn't been the starter at Juventus, went on that great run of scoring to fire Juventus to the Champions League final last season. Um, but I think he's a, he's a good striker. He has it all. He's quick, he's tall, he can finish. Perfect for United, really. Good question here from Solomon, the main man. My beloved Vehen Weisbaden. Sorry, ah, I yes. butchered that. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, escaped relegation to amateur football this year. What's your favourite relegation escape? Uh, Hamburg seem to be doing that every single season. Just about escaping at the moment. I yeah. mean, what I would say is one quick thing while I think about that left back, Jetro Williams of PSV. No, Jetro Williams. Oh my god, he'd be sick. He'd be um, absolutely sick at Liverpool. In terms of, I mean, if I'm picking one not related to my club, I always thought the West Brom Jeff Orsfield, Kieran Richardson one was quite. Decent. Oh, that was a good one, wasn't it? Kieran Richardson was amazing. It was um, like watching Pirlo. And if I'm, I mean, if I'm speaking specifically more down my own kind of personal route, I think the the Honus Gutierrez Newcastle one was oh, a yeah. brilliant one. But it, it's completely on a personal note because um, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but a few weeks before that game, uh, Loz, myself, and a friend of the show, Marcus Speller, uh, went up to Newcastle to interview Honus. Um, and by this point, he knew he was leaving the club and all this kind of stuff. And for me personally, it was quite a nice moment to meet someone I'd, I'd always admired. And the fact that, you know, they say never meet your heroes and all this kind of stuff. He was such a great guy. He offered us beers. He was so kind of welcoming and accommodating. And even after all that had gone through that we've since learned with him and his, his testicular cancer and the way the club treated him, he still didn't speak ill of the club and still spoke so wow. positively of the fans. The fact he was able to sign off with a goal that guaranteed their safety and they got to have that moment together in St James's Park. It sort of just eradicated the previous eleven months of absolute shite, for want of a better word, <laughs> that we had to endure. Chris, what about this season's relegation survival battle? You're quite good there, weren't you? God. Well, in theory, if we keep Benitez, you could argue we'll there is a silver it. lining to that crowd, and we'll <laughs> to, still to have be, a better manager than Man United. <laughs> to, to, be my, to, be, to be honest, I really, really enjoyed the Sunderland one. Not to be a knob, Chris, but I thought it was it was classic big Sam Allardyce. He just came in. Oh, <laughs> he set them up in a horrible defensive way. It was just beautiful. So, in fairness, I've heard that kind of since it happened. Oh, you know, I can't believe you want Benitez when he took you down. But the one thing I would say about this whole Allardyce loving that, that's occurring if you took his first 10 games and applied them to the relegation race, he lost the first seven. So Benitez came in and had a much better record comparatively. <laughs> but as they rightly say, he still took them down. So, you know, again, it's the first time I can think that I've wanted the club to keep a manager that took us down. Other uh, relegation escapes, of course, West Ham back in 2006. Tevez scoring yes, Tevez. Uh, against Man United to keep him up. No, that actually, that actually ruined my weekend, that did. Did it? Yeah, it was at, you were at Old Trafford, about to celebrate winning the league, and we put we put in one of the worst performances I've seen at home for oh, like the last three years. No, Rubbish. You did, you did get Tevez off that, though, so uh, swings and roundabouts. Mm. Um, and Leicester <laughs> last season as well, obviously, going on that incredible run, which they carried through to bloody win the league. That was, that was one hell of a relegation escape. Um, so, yeah, I think there's been some classics. Uh <laughs> Here's a good question from Kenny J. Rabolo. Do you see Barcelona's loss to Madrid in the Clasico as a big factor behind their season unravelling to the point where they almost lost the league as well as crashing out of the Champions League, being that they were tipped to win a consecutive treble? What do you reckon, Chris? They obviously managed to steady the ship uh, and win the league. They've obviously won the Copa del Rey this evening, so they have won a domestic double. So it's, it sort of feels weird to say their season unravelled, but at the same time, 
that they did have a pretty big wobble um, with a few games to go and bottled the Champions League. I could hear Dave ready to unload there, so I think I'm going to go on, Dave. nominate and pass this along to Go me. on, Dave. <laughs> well, Adam, I think it first blew up against Arsenal in the Champions League. Tactically, they were very poor getting into the right shape in that game. I was very frustrated with them, but then the, yeah, the, I think the Classico really gave them a knock in their confidence. But Real Madrid deserved that because they worked harder. And I think that was a, this is a theme of this, uh, this season um, in football, is that teams are winning. If teams are beating uh, groups of individuals, we've seen with Leicester City, we're probably going to see in the Champions League final, Atletico Madrid are going to win it. Um, in the Euros, I wouldn't be surprised if a team beat, you know, a team went on like a Greece, or maybe not as, as far as a Greece, but a team over, you know, an individual side like a, um, Portugal or someone like that. It will be a team of players. I think it's good. It's going against capitalism and it's showing that hard work can get you somewhere. So ultimately, going back to the point, before I went on a tangent, uh, yeah, it did. Um, I think the Real Madrid defeat really not their confidence, um, and it showed in the Champions League, but it was due to them their laziness in, in working in defence, especially Neymar, very, very poor in that period. Gabriel Wheat asks, third time lucky, how far away are Juventus from having a CL winning team? I assume he's asked this question a few times. He has, yeah. do it. What do you reckon? How far are they away from having a Champions League winning team? The tough thing for Juventus is players are always linked with leaving. I mean, we've spoken about Alvaro Morata already. Paul Pogba always linked to a move away. That tends to make things difficult when your best players are continually said to be moving to the Premier League or elsewhere. Uh, I'd, I'd say so, but I think they are building something there that's, that's very special. They've, they are signing loads of talented young players season on season. Regani, Berardi's probably going to come back to Juve uh, this summer. Pogba's going to stay for another year. So I think this could be it. Paul Pogba, what scored eight goals and got 12 assists, his best um, goal scoring and assisting season ever, um, and really became the creative force after, you know. Losing a player of Vidal's calibre that sort of did link that midfield and attack, but I do think that if Juve want to do it, they've got to do it now. And they've got Dybala, and they've got Pogba, and they've still got those three defenders of real quality: Barzagli, Benucci, um, and Chiellini. You know, supported by Buffon behind. They've just got a bit unlucky with injuries, actually. You know, in the second leg against Barcelona, Chiellini was out, Dybala was out, and I think it was a bit. Too, those two players have been very, very influential this season. Um, and Mauricio was out, of course, so it just felt it was a little bit unlucky. So I think they can get a good run. Maybe next year is their time. Ooh, big, big words. Um, here's some more big words for you, Dave. This is a challenge almost. Uh, do not Google this. John Routledge asks, who is the best current free, t- free kick taker in the world, stats-wise, Dave? No Google. Lionel Messi at the moment. Is it really? Um, I think he was one behind or two behind Ronald Koeman's um, record this season. But I think Lionel Messi has scored the most. I can go onto Google now to either Ronald confirm Koeman. or deny. You know, the, the Ronald Koeman, Salanta manager. Yeah, he, he had, um, well, I think he scored a ridiculous number of free kicks for Barcelona one year. Wow. And Messi, um, I think he's finally broken that. Uh, do you want to confirm that with Google now? I'm going to confirm that right now, Adam. That is some good stat Koeman bombs. Koeman could always hit them. Those are some good stat bombs you just dropped, Dave. Koeman, his goal-scoring record, true. is a joke. Seriously. If you look at his crowning moment at Wembley, it's a free kick. Oh. 
Ronald Koeman. Just insane, Ronald Koeman. But he held the record, so you're telling bad. me. He had some, some, there was something crazy like that. Like, let me just quickly... I've definitely seen this. I know exactly what Dave's talking about. The, the Ronald Koeman holds the record. Free kicks. The number of free kicks in a single season. I never knew that. That's insane. So, Ronald Koeman played 685 games of football. He scored 239 goals. He was a defender. That's incredible. Scored a goal every three games and you're a defender. Is a joke. What's but fair, Stephen Taylor does that. She sends him in the wrong bloody net. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> dun, dun, dun. In European know. top five leagues. Lionel Messi has scored four free kicks this season, but that is dr- he's, that's tied with Pjanic, um, Prado from Valencia. So I was right, but there was also some other lads there. I'm going to spend my evening watching some some Koeman uh, free kick compilations now. I'm blowing my mind there. I didn't realise he held the record. Scoring that many goals, I'm, I'm blown away. Um, next question from uh, at Skippy140. How did Barcelona? How did Barcelona improve on their team? One of these bloody names. Kristen, you sort of touched on it earlier um, about Denis Suarez. You sort of said that they look like they're bringing in. I mean, who do you think Barcelona, Barcelona need to sign? Because it felt like when they did have that wobble, it, it sort of coincided with their 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 legendary front three sort of dropping out of form, and maybe they were tired, or it just felt like they they needed other options in there essentially I mean I think they need a centre back maybe that's just me and it's perhaps slightly influenced by proceedings against Sevilla where Mascherano gets sent off I do think they need to (laughs) I've played more than Barcelona than Thomas Vermaelen has Um, but I don't like to talk about it I do I just think they need a centre back a reliable centre back be it a young prospect that they can sort of mould and uh, ingrain in the Barcelona ways or someone that's that is ready made. Either way, they do just need some defensive cover, I think. Here's an interesting question from AKA Juice Twenty Six. Another good username for you there, Chris. Uh, how will Arsenal line up next season with Xhaka? Uh, now the Jose Mourinho news is out. This is definitely the the worst kept secret in football. Granite Xhaka has signed for Arsenal by the looks of it. He's been pictured wearing the new kit. Uh, and and uh, pretty much everyone's aware of it, so much so that every Arsenal tweet now is bombarded with replies, announce Xhaka, announce Xhaka. Um, I would do that every <laughs> summer if I was a professional player. I would organise a photo shoot and just have loads of photos taken in lots of different kits. <laughs> just to, just to troll everyone. <laughs> and um, just sporadically release them. The best bit is it's in the new, it's in the new Arsenal kit, which hasn't been released yet either. So oh it's God, kind of a double. Joining Hereford, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Just Dave, a random team. Dave, what do you make of Granite Xhaka? I watched a little compilation earlier. Um, I thought it looks quite decent. It's interesting with with Flamini leaving and Riziki leaving. He does seem kind of that. He seems like a deep lying sort of midfielder. At first, I thought he was going to be quite similar to Urzu and one of those another attacking midfielder, another creative that they don't really need. But it seems like he might fulfil a different sort of role. No, yeah, he is a he is what you describe as a a, a tough tackling central midfielder. Um, I think he's been slightly overshadowed this season by another uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach central midfielder, the young the young German uh, Dahoud, who's had an excellent year both you know in an attacking sense and a defensive sense from central midfield. But Zaka in the two has been playing the sort of hard working. Um, role. Uh, one thing that you've got to look out for though is he's he gets booked quite a lot. 
um, this season in the Bundesliga picked up seven bookings and three yellow cards. So it's something that potentially Arsenal do need a bit of fight, a bit of bite in their midfield. Um, so it could fit in nicely, but then I don't know where he'd fit. If you've got Coquelin in there, uh, Zaka, um, El Nene, who's been very good with, with uh, Ramsey, who probably eventually wants to play there, Jack Wilshire, uh, Santi Cazorla. They've actually got a pretty... Arsenal have got some quite good depth in central midfield now. Um, so it could be it could just fit straight in there, to be quite honest. Next to maybe Santi Cazorla, that would be a pretty decent central midfield pairing. He's got million. great range, though. That's the thing. He's got His, his passing is very good. I think his decision-making lets him down a little bit. Um, and as Dave touched on, his disciplinary and his, the timing of his tackles is is not where it needs to be, I think, for an elite midfielder. Um, but I do think in that slightly deeper role, he'll give them exactly what they need. I think he could even work alongside Coquelin, funnily enough. I think those two mm, would be quite a, an industrious pair with, with a little bit of creativity there as well. Um, it's Gladbach I kind of feel sorry for um, because I think, I know Dave talks about Dahoud's kind of improvement. I think a good portion of that is because he's had Jacker next to him. Um, kind of taking care of him um, and I have a sneaking feeling that next season it might not be all good in the hood for Gladbach <laughs> no way nice <laughs> nice um, very well done uh, 30 million though is the reported fee Chris I mean do you reckon that's a good deal for this player in this market you're looking to to say probably yeah it is mm. um, would be the third most expensive signing in Arsenal history yeah, I mean, look, I, I think to a, a good degree they need to abandon that sort of way of thinking of, oh, well, he's the third best, you know, is he going to be the third best player ever? Probably not, <laughs> but that's not a terrible thing. I yeah. think you need to just accept that money and the cost of players and the cost of things in general has changed. You know, it's it's not the days of buying milk for 20 pence anymore. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Teco Lazzo tweets in saying... Say every league's top rivalry slash derby match always occurred on the first and last days of the season. What impact would this have? Uh, big hypothetical <laughs> question there from the, the main man, Tegolazzo. Um, well, nothing would get done on those weekends. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, does, uh, what impact does this rivalry, rivalry week have in, the, in MLS? Um, is it just a big marketing sort of uh, yeah idea? to be honest there's a lot of kind of Heineken's plastered everywhere and I mean in fairness that's one of the criticisms is that some of the rivalries in this week um, Philadelphia DC being one that actually they're quite manufactured right. um, and they're not as organic as they're supposed to be because DC Philly isn't really a rivalry DC Red Bulls is um, because they're both kind of big northeastern cities um I think it's good, though, in the sense that for every situation you have, like DC Philly, you do have a, a Red Bulls New York City FC one where they really do not like each other um, and they actually can't wait to play each other again um, because I'm actually going to be at the the next New York rivalry game in July. Um, and again, it's it's going to be off the chain, as some people in that country say. <laughs> off the chain. Um Final couple of questions here from the DMs. Uh, ba, 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 ba. First up, Rishab Singh. Who among these do you think will have the most successful managerial career? Ooh, Eddie Howe, Aitor Karanka, Ryan Giggs, or Zinedine Zidane? Uh, as of next week, one of these 
managers may well be a Champions League winner. Um, so that, that wouldn't be a big start. That wouldn't be a bad start for Zidane, of course. Um, Eddie Halkaranka, Gig Zidane. What do you reckon, Dave? Um, they, he missed out one name. That's David O'Brien. He's going to have a pretty promising managerial career. Probably start at the age of about four. Did you get that job at Dixon? Yeah, on your laptop. <laughs> on your bloody laptop, maybe. <laughs> well, back off, lads. Um, I think Zidane has shown some pretty good stuff so far. So, And he's obviously in the Champions League final. So he's, he's already positioned himself in the, the correct place. So I'm going to go with Zidane. Zinedine Zidane. Chris, what's your shot? Uh, I'm going to agree with, with uh, the best manager of Dixon's this side of Watford. Uh, <laughs> Dave O'Brien said Zinedine Dave Zidane. O'Brien. Um, let us know when we can get Dixon's a being best buy for those American listeners. Yes. Um, Dave, let us use your 10%, please, uh, whenever you can. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? This final question. This comes in from Dad Boltwood. Um, not my actual dad. No, a parody account, is it? No, just parody. a parody account posing as my dad uh, with with the creepy picture that looks nothing like my dad. as the profile thing. Um, Your dad looks like th- Tom Selleck, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, close. He's uh, he's the spitting image of Tony Hadley from uh, Spandau Ballet. Give all my anyone was ever uh, intrigued. Uh, what do you going think? Halloween then. <laughs> my dad will like that. Uh, what do you think Jose Mourinho will do with Juan Mata? I personally don't like him, and I think he has passed his best. He's also not what we need in United's midfield. He is creatively inconsistent and physically inept, but he seems keen, key to morale at Manchester United, especially with players like David De Gea and Herrera. Surely Mourinho won't want to get rid of him, but he'll also be wary of getting rid of him. Wait, surely Mourinho won't want to keep him, but he'll also be wary of getting rid of him. What do you think? Asking for a friend, said Dad Bolt. Dad, thank you very much for your question. Uh, what do you reckon, Dave? Juan Mata's future at Manchester United now. It looks like Jose Mourinho is coming in. Yeah, I think I'd sell him anyway. I just think, I think he's hit the nail on the head there with his consistency. He's been very poor this season. He's had a few runs where he's, he's looked really good for two or three games, but then he just dies out and he becomes a bit of... It's on the peripheral in the way of games where he's he's playing very... Uh, not even, you know, not... In, not, I was trying to think of the word, not impressive passes, but not penetrative passes. And they were very sideways in the final third, which you don't really need, especially with this Man United team. I'd rather have someone was trying to play those balls through, crossing the ball into the, the box and maybe scoring goals. And I think one Matt has kind of shown that he's a great guy and he's a brilliant champ, but it might not be the right match at Manchester United, especially with Mourinho coming in. Right, that brings an end to the podcast today. Thank you very much for joining us. Chris, thank you very much for joining us as well. Genuine pleasure. Will you join us again on Wednesday for Wednesday's pod? We're I'll, still on holiday. I will indeed. For now, though, Kristen, where can the good people follow you until Wednesday? At K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. And you, Dave? Um, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T on Twitter. Well done. Uh, you can follow me at S-Q-U-A-W-K-A Dave <laughs> on Twitter. Also, get yourselves over to the Front Free Reddit uh, that was set up earlier this week by the very kind listener, Varun. We're trying to get a few people over there and let, get the chats going and all this good stuff. Guys, until Wednesday, enjoy yourselves. Have a good week. Bye. 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 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.